Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Golf Tournament Quiet Sign Holder Upper. Mr. Golf Tournament Quiet Sign Holder Upper. Boldly you patrol the line between order and anarchy, armed with only your wits, your resolve, and your tiny cardboard sign stapled to a stick. Actually, I glued it on. You protect professional golfers from what they fear most, idle chit-chat 200 yards away. Stop breathing so loud now. Because you know there's one thing this spectator sport could really do without. Spectators. Get them so crack open a nice cold Bud Light, old salt another shush. We'll keep singing your praises as long as you keep telling us to shut up. Mr. Coffin, McQuack's on the road. Bud Light Beer, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Agreeable to you, and if you thought you'd like to join us. Absolutely, all right. I would be very happy to join you. And, uh, I've had a, a heart condition, you know. Um, My doctor has advised me to get away from the winter. Oh, I see. I'm in bed now with a very severe cold. Oh, I'm, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I, I would be afraid to make any any plans at all because I'm my mom is positive that uh, my doctor won't let me go. Yes, especially in the wintertime where it entails so much training. I'm going south uh, just as soon as I get over this cold. I see. Well, that's and I'm very susceptible to cold. Oh, I see. Well, that's too bad. Again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kagalecki, half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players 
and their stories. What's juicy, Seamheads? What's cracking? Welcome back to my dojo for yet another chapter in the fascinating story of the American national pastime. Hello, everybody. I'm Jake Robinson, and this is Backwards K-Pod, a weekly podcast where I take a deep historical and biographical dive into the game of baseball through its characters and its moments that are not only sewn into the history of baseball, but also into the fabric of America. Backwards K-Pod is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods, or you can visit my website, diamondsnakejake.podbean.com to hear any of the shows I have ever done in my vaults of archives. My Twitter handle was at jrobbie1. Uh, that's jrobbie and the number one, J-R-O-B-B-I-E, one, jrobbie1. And the show handle is at back underscore K underscore podcast. Our Instagram and YouTube accounts are backwards K-Pod, but I'm usually hanging out with the fans on the, on the uh, Facebook group page at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Uh, answer the easy questions and come on in. I will never charge you for the baseball content here at Backwards K-Pod. Not now, not never. No Patreon, no pay-to-play crowdsourcing. Keep your money, folks. You, you want to support me? Support my sponsors. Me, I'm just going to roll up my sleeves and go to work for you boys and girls every Tuesday. And I'm going to come through with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Satchel, baby. There's nothing in this world that I enjoy more than talking baseball with this audience. And, you know, it's been a crazy week, had some problems with the dog, you know, uh, but here I am, ready to go, uh, you know, a week removed from surgery, um, and I'm still humbled and in awe around how many of you rallied around me during that whole thing, and I'm even more passionate than ever about giving you my best. Uh, some people like to fly planes, some people they golf, they fish, they hunt. I like to grab a mic and talk the history of baseball. This is everything that I ever dreamed of doing when I learned I couldn't hit any Brent Slider in Little League. This show is now listened to in 35 countries around the world, and I am truly living my dream because of you cements. So, here's how you sustain me. Any of these platforms like Podbean, Apple, Spotify, that give you the opportunity to rate and review my performance, please do so as you see fit. I ain't scared. Uh, I do what I do when I do it, and I do it better than anyone in the game. And I say that in all humility. I work hard on this show, and every week I'm prepared to do battle. I'm not just reading a bio from Wikipedia. A nutless monkey can do that. A nutless monkey. I'm going to give you the straight poop. My worst fear is to let you guys down. It wakes me up on some nights. I'm in constant search of baseball podcast perfection. All the stars, ratings, and comments, they add to my profile. They make me stronger in the Google search engines. And ostensibly, you know, it's how I feed me and, my, and the dog. So if you want to do me a favor, uh, you know, or look, if you don't want to do it for me, do it for Flower. She's an innocent who just likes to fall asleep at my feet in the studio and listen to my voice. Okay, so, with all that out of the way, I'm ready to get after it uh, this week. It looks like the catcher is ready to come down. Whoa! 
airmail tat in the center field. Get that bow down, catcher. All right, look. Uh, the infield is starting to throw that rock around. I can, If I can clear this platform and det- direct you to my time travel choo-choo, I'm going to call all aboard. And I will be setting our time and destination for April 4th, 1888 in Hubbard, Texas. So, 125 years ago today as I dropped this recording. One of the all-forgotten greatest center fielders who ever lived was born. And I'm talking about the great Trish Speaker. Now, the great baseball historian Shirley Povich, who covered the game in D.C. for over 70 years until his death in 1998, he once said, while his rival Ty Cobb was a better hitter than Speaker, Trish had the better arm, range, and he was the greatest defensive center fielder over all of his dead ball counterparts. Speaker was legendary for a shallow play, and he led the AL and put out seven times and double plays six times in a 22-year career with Boston, the Indians, the Senators, and the A's. His career totals in both of those statistical stats are still major league records at the center field position. His career average of 3.5 is still sixth best in MLB history. And his 792 career doubles are still the most ever. Not to mention, he's also one of the most uh, successful player managers ever. He was as fiery and passionate of a player who has ever laced them up. And he was involved in more than his share of umpire rhubarbs and brawls with opponents, as well as his own fucking teammates. Nicknamed the Gray Eagle, or Spoke, baseball writer Grant Lynn Rice once said, he is one of two models a ball-playing grace, the other being Napoleon Lajouet. Neither of them gave you wasted motion or any sign of extra effort. They had the same elements that made golfer Bobby Jones or the four horsemen of the Notre Dame, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse for the Notre Dame football team. They, you know, both of them had that smooth, smoothness of a summer summer wind. Tristan, Edgar, Speaker was born 125 years ago today on April 4th, 1889 in Hubbard, Texas. That's a railroad town of about 500 people located 70 miles south of Dallas, Texas. Before his birth, his family had relocated to the small town from Ohio just before the American Civil War. His father, Archer, whose two older brothers fought in the Civil War for the Confederacy, died when he was 10 years old. His mother, Nancy Jane, who also had brothers who fought for the Confederacy, she ran a boarding house uh, to make ends meet. And Tris was born a natural right-handed thrower, but he taught himself how to throw left-handed when he broke his right arm twice after being thrown from a bunking, uh, bucking bronco. Soon he began batting left-handed as well. In high school, he excelled in football. He was the captain and star pitcher for his school. In 1905, Speaker attends Fort Worth Polytechnic Institute, which is now Texas Wesleyan University, where he pitched for the school's baseball team. He was also moonlighting the semi-pro circuit in Corsicana. Between school and baseball, he was picking up extra money working as a uh, telegram lineman and a cow puncher, which I had to look that up. I'd never heard of a, a cow puncher. 
Uh, basically, he, that's just another word for someone who rustles and herds cattle. In 1906, Speaker reached out to various ball clubs before Cleburne of the Texas League signed him for $50 a month. So, let me break down this calculator here. $50 a month in 1906, it has the purchasing power of $1,800 here in the 2023 economy. Unfortunately, he has run as a pitcher in the Texas League. It was a complete disaster. He lost his first six games. And he once gave up 22 straight hits in a game, all of them for extra bases. But as an outfielder, he had 268, swiped 33 bags in 84 games. When the North Texas League and the South Texas League consolidated and merged in 1907, Speaker moved to Houston, where he led the league in hitting with a 314 average and 33 steals in 118 games. At the end of that season, the Boston Red Sox purchased his contract. He appeared in only seven games for the big club, hitting uh, only 158. Uninspired by the Texans, the Sox did not offer Speaker a contract for 1908. And twice, Speaker begged the New York Giants manager, John McGraw, for a chance to play for him. And both times he was rebuffed. He would reach out to several teams in 1908, but no one had interest. Finally... The ambitious speaker on his own dime shows up in Little Rock, Arkansas for Red Sox training camp. And at the end of the spring training, Boston turned his contract over to the Little Rock ball team from the Southern Association as payment for rent of the training field with the caveat that should speaker develop into a major league player, Boston had the right to repurchase speaker for $500. Now, $500 in 1908 is worth about $17,000 today in 2023. Speaker led the Southern Association in 1908 with a 350 average, stole 28 bases. He drew raves over his defensive acumen. And in back-to-back games, he made manager McGraw Reconsider that rejection when he threw out fleet runners looking to take extra bases on him. And despite interest from the Pirates, the Giants, the Brooklyn Superboss, and the Senators, the team sold Trish back to the Red Sox. In 1909, Springer hit 224 for Boston, but he was flawless in the outfield. He, came, uh, he became very close to pitching legend Cy Young who was pitching for the Sox at that time. And he would always reminisce how Cy Young would sharpen Speaker's outfield play by hitting fly balls to him for literally hours. Speaker would lead Boston to two World Series championships over the next seven seasons, 1912 and 1950. He would hit above 300 every year, perennially ranking among AL leaders in most offensive and defensive categories. With teammates Harry Hooper and Duffy Lewis, Speaker helped form one of the best fielding outfield units in the history of the game. And if you remember from that history of the Fenway Park show that I did, there used to be an incline out in left field. That was called Duffy's Cliff after Duffy Lewis. And it was called that because of Lewis's mastery of that left field incline and Fenway, and that's before the Green Monster arrives. Uh, no one did it better out there in left field than Duffy Lewis.
And if you haven't heard that Fenway show, you need to get on that. You can find that on all podcast platforms or at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com, where I keep all of the shows archived. So, during this seven-year stretch, Speaker led all AL outfielders and putouts five times, double plays four times, twice had 35 assists, which are still AL records for center fielders. In 1912, Trish Speaker played in every game but one, and he wins the Chalmers Award as the AL MVP. His 383 average is third in the league behind only Cobb and Shoeless Joe, and he ties with A slugger Frank Homerun Baker for the league lead in Dong with 12. He also set the AL standard in doubles and OBP as well. To top the year off for Tristan, he had a key hit in the decisive eighth game of the World Series versus the Giants. Just one pitch after he watched his pop-up foul ball fall between first baseman Fred Merkel and catcher Chief Myers. Given that second chance, Speaker would make the Giants pay with his game-tying single. And the Boston fans adored him. And he began establishing a brand. Speaker received $50 every time he hit the Bull Durham sign, first at Huntington Grounds and later at Fenway. He endorsed Boston Garners. He had a $2 straw hat named in his honor. And he was always receiving like free sweaters and stuff from his companies. Uh, Hassan Cigarettes created Speaker playing cards depict, depicting him running the bases. Despite the Red Sox success, there always seems to be, you know, this combustible drama surrounding that club. Speaker and catcher Bill Carrington, uh, they outwardly despised each other, and they were often brawling with one another. Tris and outfielder Duffy Lewis, they rarely saw eye to eye, hardly ever spoke. Duffy and Kerrigan were both Irish Catholic, and their clique couldn't stand Trish and, uh, I'm sorry, Tris and his Protestant pals, Joe Wood and Larry Gardner. And the dynamics of the clubhouse became even more complicated in 1915 with the arrival of Babe Ruth. The incorrigible Ruth from the streets of West Baltimore stood up to the powerful vet Joe Wood and let it be known in front of the team he's ready to dance with Woody whenever he was looking for a dance partner. And his best bet was to keep his fucking mouth shut. And all Wood could do was wither silently into his locker in embarrassment and intimidation. So... Trish Speaker never forgot how the Bambino treated his best friend, and he never forgave him for it. He uh, was never a friend or a fan of Babe Ruth. And this should not come as a surprise, as, you know, America's history is intertwined with prejudice and racism as much as it is baseball. Uh, you know, no matter who wants to deny the fucking facts of history, that's the fucking facts. I mentioned that Speaker and his family moved to Hubbard, Texas from Ohio. And he also, you know, like I said, he had a slew of uh, Confederate vets in his family. And Tris, he once told baseball magazine writer Fred Lee that he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Although the Klan keeps its membership secret 
Trish's membership would not be surprising considering the racial climate of the country then and the fact that the KKK nationwide revival began around 1915, gaining an even greater following since adding, you know, anti-Catholic rhetoric to their always expanding circle of fucking hate. In addition... The Klan's national leader from 1922 to 1939 was the imperial wizard Hiram Evans, who lived near Speaker in Hubbard, Texas. Now, I can't say for sure he was or wasn't in the Klan, was or wasn't a racist. There are conflicting reports in my research. As a historian, it's really not my job to judge or give you my guess to another man's racial predilection. All I can do is offer the research and give the info for you to do what you want with it. And the relations between the Grey Eagle and Team President Joe Lannon, it also became strained. After three consecutive years of declining batting average, Lannon angered Joe after the World Championship victory in 1915 by proposing his $18,000 a year contract be cut down to around $9,000 a year. Lannon himself had given Trish a $14,000 raise in 1912 to keep his superstar from bolting to the Federal League's Brooklyn Club. And that Brooklyn Club, they offered Speaker a three-year $100,000 contract. And Speaker told Lannon what he could do with his pay cut, and he held out. So, Lannon sent Speaker to Cleveland in exchange for Sam Jones, Fred Thomas, and $55,000. $55,000 1915 is around $1.8 million in today's fucked up economy. When he returned to Boston in an Indian's uniform on May 9th, 1916, he received a massive outpouring of affection from the Fenway faithful, He even mistakenly headed towards the Red Sox dugout at the end of one of those innings. The Red Sox went on to win another title in 1916, but Speaker was becoming an idol in Cleveland for the Indian fans. And he really had no interest in looking back. As uh, 1916, statistically speaking, it may have been the best season of his impressive 22-year career. So let's take a look real quick. At that 1916 season. Bring it up here. Trish Speaker. 1916. 151 games played. 647 plate appearances. 211 hits. First in the American League. 102 runs. His 41 doubles were the AL standard. 8 triples. 2 home runs. 79 RBI. 35 stolen bases. 5th best in the American League. He had the best slash in the league, finally wrestling the batting title from Cobb. He went 386, 475, 02, with a 970 OPS, and a two, uh, and a 135 OPS plus. 274 total bases, 82 walks, and only 20 times struck out, folks. So, just an amazing Small small ball season as there's probably ever been. In the outfield, he may have been the shallowest player ever, which I imagine you could do that if 
you know, uh, if the ball wasn't juiced like it is today. He played so shallow. He was almost like this fifth outfielder. At the crack of the bat, he could turn his back to the infield and go get it before it dropped. And he made it look easy. Twice in April of 1918, he executed unassisted double plays, catching sinking liners in center field, and then running into tag second base. And (laughs) I found this interesting. He was even the pivot man in a few infield double plays at second base. As late as 1923, with the advent of the juice ball, he still had 26 assists. But now, he was forced to play deeper. His defensive philosophy was simple. More ball games are lost from the single that drops in front of the outfielder than the double or the triple that flies over your head. Almost six feet tall and a sinewy but sturdy 193 pounds. Spear battled from the left foot with a crouch and and he stood deep in the box. He held his bat low. He moved it up and down slowly as his internal timing mechanism And one admirer once said it looks like a lazy cat twitching his tail. And Speaker, speaker, he always kept it simple when talking about his approach. The basic see the ball, hit the ball theory. And his swing was going good when he could drive the ball between the first baseman and the bag. And that was his favorite alley for doubles, he would often say. He was remarkably consistent. He set the MLB hitting streak record three times in his career, but the hole in his swing was self-admittedly the slow high curve, particularly from Southpaws. In his 11-year career with the Tribe, he batted over 350. He paced the AL in doubles four times. In late 1925, he marries Mary Frances Cudahy from Buffalo, New York. The 37-year-old hitter, uh, mashed out an average of 389 in 117 games. The following year, his last in Cleveland, he hit 304 in 150 games. Between 1919 and 1926, Speaker was player manager for the tribe, compiling a 615 and 520 win loss record for a 543 winning percentage. In 1920, the year of the fateful death of Indian shortstop Ray Chapman, when he was accidentally beamed by Yankee shineball pitcher Carl Mays, Speaker rallied the team to not only get to the World Series, but beat the Brooklyn Dodgers five games to two for the club's first title. And again, the death of Ray Chapman is something I've already covered here. You can check that out in my catalog of shows wherever you listen to BKP. Speaker was one of the first skippers to ever platoon extensively. He would literally load up the lineup with lefties against right-handed pitchers and vice versa. He did not believe in batting cages. He preferred that his hitters practice under real competitive circumstances and with the catcher behind the dish. After the 1926 season, Hubert Dutch Leonard, a disgruntled former teammate, He accuses Tris and Cobb of fixing a game in 1919. There's a lot of conflicting uh, research over that. A lot of stuff says that there was an agreement between them and Cobb refused to lose, so Tris had to throw the game. Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis, he cleared both men of the charges. 
uh, it is rumored that Ty Cobb said that if he and Tris were thrown out, he could put out names that would destroy baseball forever. Now, that could be apocryphal, but that is in the research. AL President Ben Johnson, he always believed that both men were guilty. He persuaded the two to resign before Kenny Saul Mountain Landis made his uh, proclamation there. And he, he told him to resign, you know, to protect baseball and its image in the wake of the Black Sox scandal. Both men, because of Kenny Saul Mountain Landis's, uh, is, uh, you know, his message there, his, his, his thinking, you know, proclaiming of their innocence. Uh, they'd return in 1927, but neither would be in the same uniform as when they left. Cobb would go on to play with the A's, and in February of 1927, Speaker was signed with, by the Washington Senators. And once his swan song from Cleveland was verified, the Cleveland Plain dealer lamented, how a speakerless Indians team will seem contrary to natural law. What Christy Matthewson was to New York, what Cobb is to Detroit, what Walter Johnson was to Washington, Tris Speaker has been to Cleveland. Tris would actually finish his career with Cobb uh, and manager Connie Mack in the 1928 Philadelphia A's. He spent 1929 and 1930 in the International League, hitting 355 and 419 for the Newark Bears in a limited capacity. Although retired, Tris was far from done with baseball. He and his wife had box seats at Old League Park and then Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. He then went on to call ball games for the Cubs and the White Sox in 1931. And then he became manager and part owner of the Kansas City Blues of the American Association, a team that I hit on extensively in our Kauffman Stadium show. Again, I mean, we're on. That's the beautiful thing about this show, man. It's like everything bleeds into each other. There's connections all around. You can draw, you know, you, you, you might think you're going to go with a straight line, but all of a sudden you got to do a 90 degree angle to the left. And that's the beauty of this show. We talk about that Blues uh, baseball team quite extensively in that Calpin Stadium show. The truth is, though, that Tris was less successful as a bench manager than he was as a, than he was as a player manager. As a player, he was possessed. He was a driven competitor who could bring his teammates up to his level. Once he quit playing, he lost that touch, and he just became that old dude in the dugout. The KC Venture was not successful, and he returned to Cleveland as a broadcaster and a team scout. And during this time, Yankees center fielder Joe DiMaggio, because of his athleticism and grace, was drawing defensive comparisons to Triss, which made him bristle at that suggestion. Now, I don't know, maybe it was Joe's Italian Roman Catholic heritage. Maybe it was just competitive pride, but Tris was not a fan of DiMaggio proclaiming aloud, Him? I can name 15 better outfielders. In 1947, at the request of Indians GM Bill Vec, he returned in uniform as a special coach to help convert Larry Doby, who had played second base in the Negro Leagues. Well, now he's, you know, he's going to help him transition into a center fielder on the major league level. 
And after that, he would frequently show up to spring training camp to be around the boys and part his wisdom. In his waning years, he purely capitalized on his name brand recognition. He served as president of the Trish Speaker Incorporated, which was a wine and liquor wholesale firm, and later as a sales rep for a steel company in Detroit, Michigan. In 1936, he became the chairman of Cleveland Boxing and Pro Wrestling. In 1939, he was the president of the short-lived National Indoor Baseball League. I, I never even knew that. You know, in 1939, they had a National Indoor Baseball League, folks. And they had a team in every major league city at the time, with the exception of D.C. Uh, the, that league would only last a year, though. His final chapters included a lot of hunting and fishing. And he always stayed in contact with Tyrus Raymond, uh, Stan Kowalinski, Joe Wood, his three best friends in the game. In 1933, he and President Eisenhower shared lunch at the White House. You know, not a not bad for a boy born in a small town of 500 people. And during his playing career, Speaker was as durable as they come. But his post-career was wrought with you know, injuries and, and, and maladies. In, in 1937, he suffers a series of health problems, including a fractured skull and a broken left arm when he fell 16 feet from a second-story porch at his home. He also had a near-fatal perforated intestine and was hospitalized for weeks after heart problems in 1954. On December 8th, 19, uh, I'm sorry, December 8th, 1958, while he and his friend pulled their boat to dock after a day of fishing out on Lake Whitney in his home state of Texas, Trish Speaker suffered a fatal heart attack and died at the age of 70. He and his wife Mary were, you know, they were on like this extended vacation before Trish was scheduled to head off to Indians camp in the spring. Tris Speaker was buried in Section 1, Block 2 of the Fairway Cemetery in Hubbard, Texas. It's a nice plot. It's shaded by cedar trees. There's a video on YouTube of his grave if you want to check it out. And he's buried close to his mother and father and not far from the diamond where he once played as a kid. He was elected into the National Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York in 1937, the year after the inaugural class, along with Napoleon Lajouet and Cy Young. And, you know, that made him one of the first eight players to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. His plaque in Cooperstown, it says that he is the greatest center fielder of his day. And that, my friends, is the story of the great Tris Speaker. Before I bounce, let's take a look at those magnificent numbers from his illustrious baseball career. Tris Speaker, the Gray Eagle, born April 4th, 1888 in Hubbard, Texas. Happy birthday, Mr. Speaker, born 125 years ago today. And he died 
December 8, 1958, at Lake Whitney, Texas, buried in Fairview Cemetery in his hometown of Hubbard. 22-year career with the Red Sox, Indian Senators, and A's. 134.9 wins above replacement. 2,789 games. 12,020 plate appearances, 1,882 runs, 3,514 hits, 792 of those were doubles, the all-time Major League record, 222 triples, 117 dogs, 1,531 RBI, 436 stolen bases, 158 times caught, 1,391 walks, and only 393 strikeouts, almost a thousand more walks than strikeouts. He finished with a 345, 428, 500 slash, a 928 OPS, and a 158 OPS plus. 5,101 total bases. 1912 AL MVP Chalmers Award. He came in the top five of MVP voting two other years in 1911 and 1913. Three World Series titles. 1912 and 1950 with the 15 with the Red Sox. 1920 as a player manager for the Tribe, and he has solid World Series stats in World Series play: slash 306, 398, 458 with 33 total bases and 83 plate appearances and 20 World Series games played. One batting title in 1916, and he was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1937 with an 82.1% of the vote. And there you have it, folks. I mean, that is the great Tris Speaker. He sure knows how to fill up a stat sheet, doesn't he? I tell you, wow. <laughs> look at those numbers. And look, he's probably... He's probably the top five greatest MLB dead ball era player ever, right? I mean, right there, you know, in the mix with Cobb, Hannes, Lajaway, uh, Shoeless. I mean, Speaker is right there. No less than top eight of his gen. But, really, he's probably top five off the top of my dome piece right now. I'm, you know, without, you know, without the numbers in front of me. I hope you enjoyed hearing this story as much as I enjoyed telling it. I promise to try to be better next year. And there are a lot of things about Spreaker if you want to learn more. Search bar that shit. He really is a fascinating dude. And he is rarely mentioned when we speak of the all-time greats. But he should be. So, with the Trish Speaker show in the books... And a big backwards K next to it. I chop the head off our baseball hydro. Only to see two more baseball topics grow in its place. And before we go on, I got to make a little program announcement here. Um, my interview with Betty Ayala for uh, this Thursday in Feltrill. We're going to make it up. Uh, we had some scheduling conflicts there. It's no problem. Uh, he's a very gracious man. He can't wait to do the interview. So, I'm going to keep you guys uh, in the loop on that. I just got to figure out how we're going to make that happen. Me and Ozzy Cruz, we got to huddle up and get it together. Uh, so, keep an ear for that. 
But, you know, baseball is back. I'm, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing being able to sit here and watch baseball every night. It's a great fucking feeling. Next week, we'll be talking about one of the greatest switch hitters and third basemen who ever lived. I'm talking the great Larry Chipper Jones. The kid who was born to play baseball. I mean, listen to that name. Chipper Jones. And just one of my all-time favorites. And I can't wait to tell a story. The great Chipper Jones. Wow, that's going to be great. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players Ninja. and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch looking bored AF, spring is here, the weather has begun to break for the most of us, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy, Shay Hillenbrand, told me in our one-on-one interview, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. See you next, see, see you next week, Seamheads. Peace. Executive producer of Backwards K-Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fish and Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap, only to touch my eyes half hour later, and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no base spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner, specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 
to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning. crawfishhandcleaner.com